The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss types of dreams and uh, their possible meanings. Uh, that's what we're going to look at here, their, their interpretation, their meaning, all of these different ideas. And we're going to be exploring here further in the book we've been reading from uh, C.W. Leadbeater. Uh, the book titled Dreams, and there's a big, long subtitle that goes along with that. But... Uh, I found this book very valuable uh, as far as uh, the information presented in there. And uh, we had explored in some previous episodes here uh, some of the nature of consciousness and dreams themselves and how these things interrelate and uh, what the mechanism for sleep and dreaming is all about, according to the theosophists and uh, many of the other occultists here. So we're going to explore a little bit further tonight, and we're going to go through... Uh, a little bit more of this book here. And I don't know, we might actually finish the whole thing up. Uh, it's only like two more chapters or something like that in the book. Uh, so we may be able to get through the entire thing. I'm not sure. It depends uh, just how much I think is, is pertinent to the conversation here. Uh, but uh, Mr. Leadbeater does give us some interesting ideas about dreams, types of dreams, and uh, what some of their interpretations and meanings could be. So we're going to explore that and uh, the nature of what these dreams really are and, uh, you know, how it is that these things relate to everyday life. But let's read in here. We left off last time uh, here, uh, and this is actually dreams. And the first type of dream that's going to be discussed here is number one, the true vision. This, which cannot properly be classified as a dream at all, is a case where the ego either sees for himself some fact upon a higher plane of nature, or else has it impressed upon him by a more advanced entity. At any rate, he is made aware of some fact which is important for him to know, or perhaps sees some glorious and ennobling vision which encourages and strengthens him. Happy is the man to whom such a vision comes with sufficient clearness to make its way through all obstacles and fix itself firmly in his waking memory. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So, what Mr. Leadbeater's saying here, he's talking about, uh, it's a case where the ego either sees for himself, the ego, remember, this is uh, what they refer to as, like, the higher self or, uh, you know, the... the uh, the embodiment of your personage, your personhood, uh, on the mental plane, or the I am, uh, as it's referred to uh, in, in various uh, of these occult writings. The I am, this portion of you that makes up who you are. Uh, so this would be your, your higher self, okay, according to the theosophists here. And as we've discussed previous, some of this stuff you have to take with a grain of salt, right? Because there's no way to really prove or disprove any of this stuff, but... Uh, 
This is what they claim, and I think there may be some validity to some of the information they present. Uh, so that being the case, when we understand our consciousness embodies more than just this physical body here, right? It uh, penetrates into different planes of reality, and it's in the dream state that sometimes, just sometimes, the information from those other planes may leak through to our waking memory. And that's what he's talking about here. So this first one, the true vision, this is one where there's some important piece of information conveyed to a person by either their higher self or some other outside entity upon one of these other planes. And this information is pertinent to the person's future knowledge base. And uh, sometimes, just sometimes, they might have conscious or waking remembrance of this dream or this uh, message that's been conveyed. And a lot of times these messages are conveyed in, in very symbolic ways to people uh, in their dreams. <coughs> Excuse me. So with that being the case, uh, we could see by some of the dreams and stuff we have, a lot of times they don't make sense, like in the waking world, oftentimes. And, and some of this has to do with uh, archetypal ideas, the symbols, the archetypal symbols involved with the dream. And sometimes we have to do a little conscious effort here of digging into the dream to try and find interpretations. And each interpretation of any type dream like that would definitely be something personal, right? And that's, that's something that makes it very difficult to uh, Look at this kind of thing. Now, there are some certain types of dreams that are like overarching, have overarching meanings and stuff like that. But as far as specific meanings for dreams or specific uh, uh, courses of action that could be drawn from uh, what the dream is about, it's it's very personal to each individual person. So, I mean, it makes it difficult uh, to really interpret a dream in that state. Uh, so, with that being the case, a lot of it's open to personal interpretation. A lot of it is up to yourself to determine what your dream meant because different uh, different events of the dream or different symbols within the dream would have different uh, meanings to each and every individual. Uh, so the interpretation thereof is almost strictly up to us. Now other people might be able to help point the way for us to understand what our dreams mean, but uh, you know it's a very difficult process as far as that goes. But uh, right now, uh, Mr. Leadbeater's telling us about these different types of dreams. And the first one he listed is the true vision, which actually gives you a reflection of something that may occur in the real world, in the waking world here. Uh, information that uh, you may be, um, you may need for some future event. So that that's what he's talking about. And this is an extremely rare thing, according to these people. Uh, the theosophists here, as well as uh, some of the other occult teachings. These teachings line up in many ways across all these different secret society groups and uh, different occult fraternities. So a lot of these things uh, might have some element of truth to them or some core of truth to them. So it, it's important to look at what it is that they write about here and, uh, you know, consider it. Uh, as I've discussed in the past, it's information. If you don't find value in it right now, put it in your back pocket, and maybe at some future date, something else might come along uh, to correlate with it and help you better understand certain things. So uh, we'll move on to the next one here, number two, the prophetic dream. 
This also we must attribute exclusively to the action of the ego, who either foresees for himself or is told of some future event for which he wishes to prepare his lower consciousness. Going to pause for a moment there. Remember, the ego equates to the higher consciousness, according to these people. And your lower consciousness is the consciousness which resides here in the physical plane, in the physical world. The real world, so to say, here that we're all familiar with, right? The material world all around us. So uh, that's what they're saying here. So this would be your higher self wants to make uh, your lower self aware of this future event and this is the prophetic dream there are some distinctions from the true vision as the first one he lists here and we'll get to that let's read on this may be of any degree of clearness and accuracy according to the power of the ego to assimilate it himself and having done so to impress it upon his waking brain sometimes the event is one of a serious moment, such as death or disaster, so that the motive of the ego in endeavoring to impress it is obvious. On other occasions, however, the fact foretold is apparently unimportant and is difficult for us to comprehend why the ego should take any trouble about it. Of course, it is always possible that in such a case the fact remembered may be only a trifling detail of some far larger vision the rest of which has not come through to the physical brain <coughs> excuse me gonna pause for a second there folks so once again this comes back to uh, what details of dreams do we remember right sometimes when we wake up we can remember very vividly some of the things we dream about and other times we lose that right we know we dreamed but we can't remember exactly what it is we dreamed about or we remember foggy details about it so what's being said here is sometimes the whole thing doesn't get impressed upon the physical brain right the whole message here in some of these different dreams so you might remember bits and pieces and it might be something trifling but uh, there might be a larger big picture at play here that uh, may be explored but let's continue on Often the prophecy is evidently intended as a warning, and instances are not wanting in which that warning has been taken, and so the dreamer has been saved from injury or death. In most cases, the hint is neglected, or its true signification not understood until the fulfillment comes. In others, an attempt is made to act upon the suggestion, but nevertheless, circumstances over which the dreamer has no control bring him, in spite of himself, into the position foretold. Stories of such prophetic dreams are so common that the reader may easily find some in almost any of the books on such subjects. I quote a recent example from Mr. W.T. Stead's Real Ghost Stories from page 77. The hero of the tale was a blacksmith at a manufacturing mill, which was driven by a water wheel. He knew the wheel to be out of repair, and one night he dreamed that at the close of the next day's work, the manager detained him to repair it, that his foot slipped and became entangled between the two wheels, and was injured and afterwards amputated. He told his wife the dream in the morning, and made up his mind to be out of the way that evening if he was wanted to repair the wheel. <coughs> Excuse me. During the day, the manager announced that the wheel must be repaired when the workpeople left that evening, but the blacksmith determined to make himself scarce before the hour arrived. He fled to a wood in the vicinity and thought to hide himself there in its recesses. He came to a spot where lay some timber which belonged to the mill, and detected a lad stealing some pieces of wood from the heap. 
On this, he pursued him in order to rescue the stolen property, and became so excited that he forgot all about his resolution, and ere he was aware of it, found himself back at the mill, just as the workmen were beginning were being dismissed. He could not escape notice, and as he was Principal Smith, he had to go upon the wheel, but he resolved to be unusually careful. In spite of all his care, however, his foot slipped and got entangled between the two wheels just as he had dreamed. It was crushed so badly that he had to be carried to the Bradford Infirmary, where the leg was amputated above the knee, so the prophetic dream was fulfilled throughout. And I'm going to pause for a second there. <coughs> so this is an example of a prophetic dream, and many times prophetic dreams are usually um, given or uh, experienced as a warning about some future event, right? Uh, so that we don't fall into that kind of folly. And who knows for sure whether or not this is really a true warning per se uh, with a lot of these things. Sometimes we can be overly cautious about things, especially depending upon the degree to which you trust that your dreams uh, may be harboring some type of information that's useful in the real material world here. Uh, so some people are more cautious with these things and others maybe not so much. Uh, some people think, okay, it was just a silly dream, right? Or, you know, uh, some people might think it's just uh, anxieties. Like each person has their particular anxieties about certain things and therefore they will dream about something like that. And there's it not, it's not to be taken seriously, but uh, there are those. Uh, especially within some of these secret society groups and occult fraternities that, that seem to think that uh, there's more meaning to dreams than just your standard uh, dismissal that we usually give them. So I think it's important to pay attention to some of these distinctions. But uh, the, there's vague differences between uh, what uh, Mr. Leadbeater calls the true vision and the prophetic dream here. Uh, the true vision... Uh, usually is about something much grander than just a particular danger like this. Uh, so that being the case, that would be wherein the distinction lies, and it, it would usually be something that would affect more than just the dreamer themselves, right? So uh, that's essentially yeah, what uh, the major distinction would be between those. But the next one uh, gets a little more interesting because as we step down through these different dream types, you'll see... Uh, some of them are more common. I think he did them in uh, order of the least common to the most common types. So let's continue on. Number three, the symbolic dream. This too is the work of the ego, and indeed it might almost be defined as a less successful variant of the preceding class, for it is, after all, an imperfectly translated effort on his part to convey information as to the future. A good example of this kind of dream was described by Sir Noel Patton in a letter to Mrs. Crow, published by the latter in The Night Side of Nature, page 54. The artist writes, quote, That dream of my mother's was as follows. She stood in a long, dark, empty gallery. On one side was my father, on the other side my eldest sister, then myself, and the rest of the family according to their ages. We all stood silent and motionless. At last it entered, the unimagined something that, casting its grim shadow before, had enveloped all the trivialities of the preceding dream in the stifling atmosphere of terror. 
It entered stealthily, descending the three steps that led from the entrance down into the chamber of horror, and my mother felt that it was death. He carried on his shoulder a heavy axe and had come, she thought, to destroy all her little ones at one fell swoop. On the entrance of the shape, my sister Alexis leapt out of the rank, interposing herself between him and my mother. He raised his axe and aimed a blow at my sister Catherine, a blow which to her horror my mother could not intercept, though she had snatched up a three-legged stool for that purpose. She could not she felt, fling the stool at the figure without destroying Alexis, who kept shooting out and in between her and the ghastly thing. Down came the axe and poor Catherine fell. Again the axe was lifted by the inexorable shape over the head of my brother, who stood next in the line, but now Alexis had disappeared somewhere behind the ghastly visitant, and with a scream my mother flung the stool at his head. He vanished and she awoke. Three months had elapsed, when we children were all of us seized with scarlet fever. My sister Catherine died almost immediately, sacrificed, as my mother in her misery thought, to her, my mother's, over-anxiety for Alexis, whose danger seemed more imminent. The dream prophecy was in part fulfilled. I also was at death's door, given up by the doctors, but not by my mother. She was confident of my recovery." But for my brother, who was scarcely considered in danger at all, but over whose head she had seen the visionary axe impending, her fears were great, for she could not recollect whether the blow had or had not descended when the specter vanished. My brother recovered, but relapsed and barely escaped with life, but Alexis did not. For a year and ten months the poor child lingered, and I held her little hand as she died. Thus the dream was fulfilled." It is very curious to notice here how accurately the details of the symbolism work themselves out, even to the supposed sacrifice of Catherine for the sake of Alexis and the difference in the manner of their deaths. <coughs> Excuse me. So I'm going to pause there, folks. So the symbolic dream, right? We've all had very symbolic dreams, and they're not always something as uh, maybe, I don't know, as dark as that particular one that was just described there. Uh, but oftentimes, uh, we we have uh, an inkling as to what the symbolism's about in various ways in our waking lives uh, when we actually remember the dream. And, and sometimes the details become fuzzy, uh, much like uh, was described in that particular case, right? Uh, so we don't know what the eventual outcome is, but sometimes we take those matters to heart and we carry those dreams with us. And we may not understand, you know, the, the full capacity of what it's expressing to us. But uh, the symbolism itself is entrenched in a very deep archetypal place. So uh, when we see certain symbols, and particularly uh, like as that was just discussed in that last case, the, the, the death archetype was definitely there. And this was something that frightened uh, the author or whoever wrote that uh, that uh, passage there, their their mother, it was their mother that had that prophetic vision, that uh, symbolic dream, so to say. And, uh, it, you know, she took it seriously and was frightened by it, but didn't remember all the details as to what exactly happened. So, with that being the case, she acted accordingly on a conscious level, uh, you know, thinking that perhaps there was something to this. And many different cultures... Uh, have different thoughts on dreams. Uh, the dream state is, is really a, a very mysterious type of state uh, 
to be in. It's a state of consciousness that uh, is is kind of mysterious for us, and it's it's an altered state of consciousness. And that being the case, it's hard to express the experiences we have in that state, and uh, it's. It, hard sometimes when we're in that little twilight region there between sweet uh, sleep and uh, and awakeness where reality becomes a little distorted for us at times right have you ever been uh you know in the middle of a dream or something and uh you know you're kind of waking up from the dream but you're still half in that sleep state and uh you know you, you have that experience where it's it's very hard to distinguish hey that split second time what what's what's real and what's just the dream right and many of us have had some of these dreams that were so realistic that uh it's it's hard to uh differentiate at times between the sleep state and you know that dream state and and reality here so with that being the case um, a lot of times these symbolic type dreams uh, might take on a life of their own in various ways uh, and often we don't recognize the symbolism right off the bat until as the author here said until later on in the real world when something occurs and then after the fact we might realize hey that's probably what that dream was referring to or what that dream was about <coughs> but anyway let's continue on down the list here number four the vivid and connected dream this is sometimes a remembrance, more or less accurate, of a real astral experience which has occurred to the ego while wandering away from his sleeping physical body. More frequently, perhaps, it is the dramatization by that ego, either of the impression produced by some trifling physical sound or touch, or of some causal idea which happens to strike him. Examples of this latter kind have already been given, and there are many to be found of the former also. We may take as an instance an anecdote quoted by Mr. Andrew Lang in Dreams and Ghosts, page 35, from the distinguished French physician Dr. Briere de Beausmont, who described it as occurring within his own intimate knowledge. And he says, quote, Miss C., a lady of excellent sense, lived before her marriage in the house of her uncle, D., and he's just giving initials here because he's not trying to identify these people uh, so he, he gives their initials. So this is Miss C, and then her uncle was, his initial was D. A celebrated physician and member of the Institute. Her mother at this time was seriously ill in the country. One night the girl dreamed that she saw her mother, pale and dying, and especially grieved at the absence of two of her children, one a curé in Spain and the other herself in Paris. Next, she had heard her own Christian name called Charlotte, and in her dream saw the people about her mother bringing in her own little niece and godchild, Charlotte, from the next room. The patient intimated by a sign that she did not want this Charlotte, but her daughter in Paris. She displayed the deepest regret. Her countenance changed. She fell back and died. Next day, the melancholy of Miss C. attracted the attention of her uncle. She told him her dream, and he admitted that her mother was dead. Some months later, when her uncle was absent, she arranged his papers, which he did not like anyone to touch. Among these was a letter containing the story of her mother's death, and giving all the details of her own dream, which D. had kept concealed, lest they should impress her too painfully.' 
Sometimes the clairvoyant dream refers to a matter of much less importance than a death, as in the following case, which is given by Dr. F.G. Lee in Glimpses in the Twilight, page 108. And I'm going to pause for a second here, folks. A lot of these books he's citing, remember, this was written in 1903. Okay, so a lot of these books he's citing would probably be very difficult to find now, but it seems like there was a lot of literature at the time that uh, spoke about many of these types of events, these dream events and these types of dreams. So let's keep that in mind as we go on here. So uh, once again, we're going uh, through, uh, this is also a portion of what he calls the vivid and connected dream. So let's continue on. Remember, this is from Dr. F.G. Lee's book, Glimpses in the Twilight. A mother dreams that she sees her son on a boat of strange shape stranding or sorry, standing at the foot of a ladder, which leads to an upper deck. He looks extremely pale and worn, and says to her earnestly, Mother, I have nowhere to sleep. In due course, a letter arrives from the sun, in which he encloses a sketch of the curious boat, showing the ladder leading to the upper deck. He also explained that on a certain day, that of his mother's dream, a storm nearly wrecked their boat and hopelessly soaked his bed, and the account ends with the words, I had nowhere to sleep. It is quite clear that in both these cases, the dreamers, drawn by thoughts of love or anxiety, had really traveled in the astral body during sleep to those in whose fate they were so keenly interested and simply witnessed the various occurrences as they took place. So I'm going to pause there. So uh, essentially what he's claiming about this is that uh, this is a type of dream wherein your astral body or your astral form uh, travels and experiences some type of this and then your physical brain uh, tries to process it and embed it into your conscious mind your waking mind uh, so you know like i said with a lot of this stuff you have to take it all with a grain of salt there's no way to really prove or disprove any of this stuff but i find the conversation fascinating at any rate and uh, perhaps in this altered state of consciousness uh, we can actually uh, a portion of our consciousness could probably travel away from the physical body and experience, you know, some other uh, type of energetic principles out there. And perhaps that's what this is referring to. Uh, so this is another type of dream uh, that doctor, well, he's not really a doctor. I don't think C.W. Leadbeater was a doctor, but uh, Mr. Leadbeater was talking about. So uh, let's continue on the next one. Number five, he calls the confused dream. This, which is by far the commonest of all, may be caused, as has already been pointed out, in various ways. It may be simply a more or less perfect recollection of a series of the disconnected pictures and impossible transformations produced by the senseless automatic action of the lower physical brain. It may be a reproduction of the stream of causal or casual thought which has been pouring through the etheric part of the brain. If sensual images of any kind enter into it, it is due to the ever-restless tide of earthly desire, probably stimulated by some unholy influence of the astral world. It may be due to an imperfect attempt at dramatization on the part of an underdeveloped ego. Or it may be, and most often is, due to an inextricable mingling of several or all of these influences. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Remember back uh, a couple episodes ago where we were talking about the different mechanisms for dreaming, right? Uh, this was, you know, discussed earlier in this book. 
And he was talking about there's this physical mechanism and then there's the etheric mechanism and the astral mechanism. And then there's the, the higher ego, right? The ego or the higher self mechanism, right? Uh, so within these various mechanisms, he, he claims that uh, thoughts can be perceived within the etheric and uh, these would be outside thoughts just kind of floating around in the etheric that could uh, actually influence people from outside. Uh, so this is one, one thing that could constitute this, or it could be uh, an imperfect part of your memory of your past experiences, maybe your anxieties coming into play here. So there's numerous factors that he claims uh, within this type of dream, which he calls the confused dream, which he says is the most common type. And I would say that uh, probably all of us have experienced this confused dream state, right? Because things don't really make sense in the confused dream state, do they? And there may not be intended to. It may just be a smattering of different things of our the way our minds process different events that have happened during the day or, uh, you know, ways it reacts to different outside influences, this kind of thing. And this might manifest in this confused dream state, and maybe there's some meaning to it, and maybe there's not. Or there could be a combination of underlying meanings, and perhaps just not underlying meanings, just the, you know, the, the stream of consciousness, so to say, here. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's read on here. The way in which such mingling takes place will perhaps be made clearer by a short account of some of the experiments on the dream state recently made by the London Lodge of the Theosophical Society with the aid of some clairvoyant investigators among its members. And I'm going to pause there, folks. <coughs> so, you see, many of these secret society groups... They take this idea of dreams very seriously. The Theosophical Society here actually underwent studies of this at their London Lodge. Uh, so we're going to get a little bit into what their experiments showed and uh, what uh, they were able to witness here. And this, like I said, they're talking about clairvoyance here. Um, so as I said, a lot of this you have to take with a grain of salt. Uh, it's either do we believe them or do we not believe them, right? Uh, but I find it interesting, some of the things that they say. They claim they have this this type of spiritual site where they could witness uh, different, you know, manifestations of energetic principles in different ways that uh, you can't see with your regular uh, material world site here, but they could seem to experience. Uh, so they're saying with the aid of clairvoyance here, they were able to uh, do some experiments with the dream state. So let's see what uh, they have to say here. So, experiments on the dream state. The object, especially in view in the investigation, part of which I am about to describe, was to discover whether it was possible to impress the ego of an ordinary person during sleep sufficiently to enable him to recollect the circumstance when he awoke. And it was also desired, as far as possible, to find out what are the obstacles that usually stand in the way of such recollection. The first experiment tried was with an average man of small education and rough exterior, a man of the Australian shepherd type, whose astral form as seen floating above his body was externally little more than a shapeless wreath of mist. 
It was found that the consciousness of the body on the bed was dull and heavy, both as regarded the grosser and the etheric parts of the frame. The former responded to some extent to external stimuli, for example, the sprinkling of two or three drops of water on the face called up in the brain, though somewhat tardily, a picture of a heavy shower of rain, while the etheric part of the brain was, as usual, a passive channel for an endless stream of disconnected thoughts, though it rarely responded to any of the vibrations they produced. And even when it did, it seemed somewhat sluggish in its action. The ego floating above was an undeveloped and semi-unconscious condition, but the astral envelope, though shapeless and ill-defined, showed considerable activity. The floating astral can at any time be acted upon with an ease that can scarcely be imagined by the conscious thought of another person, and in this case, the experiment was made of withdrawing it to some little distance from the physical body on the bed, with the result, however, that as soon as it was more than a few yards away, considerable uneasiness was manifested in both the vehicles, and it became necessary to desist from the attempt, as evidently any further withdrawal would have caused the man to awake, probably in a state of great terror. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Remember, they're claiming that this is what they could witness with their clairvoyant sight, that this is what they could see going on with these various vehicles, as they call them, these various bodies, the physical body, the astral body, the etheric body, uh, these different forms that they claim that uh, with this special clairvoyant sight, uh, you could see. And, you know, some people may have experienced a... Or, or have claimed the ability to see auras. And this would be maybe a type of manifestation of the same type thing. Uh, but they're claiming they did actual documented studies on this. That's how important this uh, dream state is to many of these people. And I always caution people. I said, I like to say, whether you believe any of this stuff or not is irrelevant, right? Uh, what you have to keep in mind is there's people in positions of power in this world that very much believe this stuff, and the things they do to act on it will affect all of us. So we need to understand what their mindset is, what their motivations are, and, uh, you know, why they do the things they do, and perhaps also have to keep in the back of your mind, maybe there's some validity to some of the things that are being told here, and if there is, this is a whole realm of knowledge that's kept from the common people. So, you know, if that's the case, if these people uh, actually are privy to some type of information that we are not, does that not give them an advantage over us or a type of power over us? If they can understand what's going on while you're sleeping and you don't understand that, then that gives them a very real type of power over you, doesn't it? If they understand something, some kind of a, a concept about the dream state that you don't, and they could tap into that, and we can't, that gives them a severe advantage. Uh, and that's why people like this take this stuff seriously and have studied it. Uh, so, you know, with that being the case, it's important to look at these things. So let's read on here. <clears throat> a certain scene was chosen, a view of the most magnificent character from the summit of a mountain in the tropics, and a vivid picture of it was projected by the operator into the dreamy consciousness of the ego, which assimilated and examined it, though in a dull, apathetic, and unappreciative kind of way. After this scene had been held before his view, for some time the man was awakened, the object being, of course, to see whether he recollected it as a dream. 
Going to pause for a moment there, folks. So also what they're implying here is that not only can they maybe be able to witness uh, some of this activity on these other planes, but they can influence a person's dream in certain ways if they have these types of abilities. If there's any truth to this, this is a huge, huge thing, isn't it? Think about that. This could be, you know, have you ever heard of people having shared dreams? Have you heard of something like that? People have the same dream? It's an interesting concept, and if that's the case, maybe their mind has been influenced by some kind of an outside force, uh, and if this is a possible thing, well, this would certainly give somebody power over another. Uh, but the, the dream state here is an important concept to these people, and that's why they've studied it, and they will use the tools at their disposal, and if this is a tool that they believe in that it works, uh, they will certainly use it. And like I cautioned earlier, even if you don't believe any of this stuff, keep in mind there's people in positions of power in this world that very much do, and the things they do to act on that will affect all of us. So with that being the case, let's continue reading on here. So they're, they're, he's claiming here that uh, this, this clairvoyant or, or whatever who was involved in the experiment was able to project an image into the mind of the dreamer. <coughs> let's continue on. His mind, however, was an absolute blank on the subject, and except for some vague yearnings of the most animal description, he had brought back no memory whatever from the state of sleep. It was suggested that possibly the constant stream of thought forms from outside which flowed through his brain might constitute an obstacle by so distracting it as to make it unreceptive to influences from its higher principles. So, after the man had again fallen asleep, a magnetic shell was formed around his body to prevent the entrance of the stream, and the experiment was tried again. And I'm going to pause for another moment there, folks. A magnetic shell was formed around his body to prevent the influence from these outside thoughts. Think about that, okay? If that is all, also has any merit to it at all, any inkling of truth to it, this is massively important. Magnetic fields and uh, the idea that uh, thoughts can... Uh, Outside thoughts from other people can affect you in the etheric, but a magnetic field can stop that. Think about that. This is hugely important. What are they doing with all these magnetic field frequencies and stuff around us uh, with the cell towers and everything? How does this affect the dream state? How does this affect the consciousness? How does this affect the flow of these thoughts in the etheric, if there's any kernel of truth to that? Think about that. I, I mean, this is all just food for thought. Like I said, whether or not you believe any of this stuff is irrelevant. There's people in positions of power who very much do believe it and act on it. So uh, with that being the case, this is the vantage point they're coming from. And this is coming from C.W. Leadbeater, who was a guy who was heavily in the know within the Theosophical Society back in those days. Uh, he was in influential circles. Let's put it that way. Uh, he was well regarded by many occultists at the time and was, uh, uh, you know, a very influential person and had a lot of connections in the positions of power in the world. So when they're looking at this stuff and studying this stuff and taking it this seriously, and a lot of it might sound nonsensical to, uh, you know, the modern mind, the things we're, we're talking about here and the things he's saying, but uh, if you even consider for a second that any of this could be true, 
this is a huge, huge uh, disconnect between people in power and the rest of the public who has, you know, been taught uh, through time that this stuff was nonsensical or evil or there's nothing to it. Uh, so anyway, at that point, what we have to realize is uh, if there's any kernel of truth to it, then this, this really creates a disparity in power. And these people may use the, or leverage this type of information as power against us. <coughs> Excuse me. But anyway, let's, let's read on here again. Uh, so I'm going to repeat that last part. So it says here, It was suggested that possibly the constant stream of thought forms from outside, which flowed through his brain, might constitute an obstacle by so distracting it as to make it unreceptive to influences from higher principles. So after the man had fallen asleep again, a magnetic shell was formed around his body to prevent the entrance of the stream, and the experiment was tried again. When this deprived of its ordinary pabulum, his brain began very slowly and dreamily to evolve out of itself scenes of the man's past life. But when he was again aroused, the result was precisely the same. His memory was absolutely blank as to the scene put before him, though he had some vague idea of having dreamed of some event in his past. This subject was then for the time resigned as hopeless, it being fairly evident that his ego was too little developed in his karmic principle too strong to give any reasonable probability of success gonna pause there so uh <laughs> at any rate so they're claiming that this guy that they experimented upon uh, apparently uh, the clairvoyant was able to see into his mind and see uh what he was dreaming or was able to implant these images in his mind this is what they claim uh but he had no uh recollection of them when he woke up uh so you know at any rate, uh, so they said they had no probability of success with this guy. So let's see what they say here next. Another effort made with the same man at a later period was not quite so utter a failure. The scene put before him, in this case being a very exciting incident, from the battlefield, which was chosen as being probably more likely to appeal to his type of mind than the landscape. This picture was undoubtedly received by this undeveloped ego with more interest than the other, but still, when the man was awakened, the memory was gone, all that remained being an indistinct idea that he had been fighting, but where or why he had quite forgotten. The next subject taken was a person of much higher type, a man of good moral life, educated and intellectual with broad philanthropic ideas and exalted ambitions. In his case, the denser body responded instantaneously to the water test by a very respectable picture of a tremendous thunderstorm, and that, in turn, reacting on the etheric part of the brain, called up by association a whole series of vividly represented scenes. When this disturbance was over, the usual stream of thoughts began to flow through, but it was observable that a far greater proportion of them awoke a response in this brain. Also, that the responsive vibrations were much stronger, and that in each case a train of associations was started, which sometimes excluded the stream from outside for quite a considerable time. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. Now, keep in mind, okay, 
as we said earlier, there's no way to prove or disprove any of this stuff, okay? And apparently, uh, you know, they claim that these clairvoyants can see all of this stuff happening in the mind vehicles of these various planes uh, that they're able to see with their clairvoyant sight. Uh, so this is what they say. They could see what's going on. They could maybe see what this man is dreaming or maybe project that dream into the man's head, project these images. Uh, and then when he awakes, well, he may or may not recollect any of that. Uh, but this is what they're claiming with this experiment. They have the ability to observe what he's dreaming while he's dreaming. But then upon the waking state, they could test and see what does he recall. And, uh, you know, they... They base this a lot upon what they call either a an unawakened ego or, you know, a more developed ego. And this is how they talk about it. And this, once again, correlates to the higher self, uh, so to say, in many of their teachings. So uh, and this, this holds true through much of occult philosophy from different groups. These same type of ideas or principles, they may call them slightly different things, okay? But it's all the same type of framework with it. And I, I do find the idea of uh, altered states of consciousness in the dream state a fascinating subject. So if they truly do have this ability to observe these things and influence these things, this could be hugely important, okay? And if, if this is true, or any portion of it's true and they've hidden it from us, uh, it really could cause an imbalance in, uh, you know, the, the power situation here between the controlled and the controllers uh so you know with that being the case maybe they know something we don't right or maybe this is all nonsensical i don't know i, I don't know the truth but i do find uh, much of what they say here compelling and i find it hard to believe that they would spend this much time and effort looking at this stuff if there was nothing of value to be garnered from it uh, so i think there are some key kernels of truth and uh, some value to be found in all of this stuff. And that's why I'd like to go through these things and uh, read through some of these older texts because much of this information is lost to the modern world or to the modern mind. And there are some of us out there that are interested in looking at this stuff and reading about it because if nothing else, it's at least very entertaining, right? Uh, so, and, and it opens up your mind. It makes you think about the world in different ways than we've been taught to by the modern scientific paradigm. So, uh, at any rate, that's, that's why I like to look at this stuff. Uh, but let's continue reading here. The astral vehicle in this subject was far more definite in its ovoid outline, and the body of denser astral matter within it was a very fair reproduction of his physical form. And while desire was decidedly less active, the ego itself possessed a much higher grade of consciousness. The astral body in this case could be drawn away to a distance of several miles from the physical without apparently producing the slightest sense of disquiet in either of them. When the tropical landscape was submitted to this ego, he at once seized upon it with the greatest appreciation, admiring and dwelling upon its beauties in the most enthusiastic manner. After letting him admire it for a while, the man was aroused, but the result was somewhat disappointing. He knew that he had a beautiful dream, but was quite unable to recall any details, the few elusive fragments that were uppermost in his mind being remnants of the ramblings of his own brain. With him, as with the other man, the experiment was then repeated with the addition of a magnetic shell thrown around the body 
And in this case, as in the other, the brain at once began to evolve pictures of its own. The ego received the landscape with even greater enthusiasm than at first, recognizing it at once as the view he had seen before, and surveying it point by point with quite ecstatic admiration of its many beauties. And I'm going to pause there, folks. It doesn't really delineate how they put this magnetic shell around the man. Uh, in these experiments. They don't say how they do this, whether they use some type of a device or whether, uh, you know, it's it's their, uh, their clairvoyant or their medium uh, who is allegedly able to do this or, or what have you. But they claim this keeps the, uh, the, the thought forms uh, from, you know, the etheric from uh, affecting his mind. So that's what they claim they did. Uh, but let's continue on here. But while he was thus engaged in contemplation of it, the etheric brain down below was amusing itself by recalling pictures of his school life, the most prominent being a scene on a winter day when the ground was covered with snow, and he and a number of his playmates were snowballing one another in the school playground. When the man was aroused as usual, the effect was exceedingly curious. He had a most vivid remembrance of standing upon the summit of a mountain, admiring a magnificent view and he even had the main features of the scenery quite clearly in his mind. But instead of the gorgeous tropical verdure, which lent such richness to the real prospect, he saw the surrounding country entirely covered with a mantle of snow. And it seemed to him that even while he was drinking in with deep delight the loveliness of the panorama spread out before him, he suddenly found himself, by one of the rapid transits, or transitions, so frequent in dreams, snowballing his boy with boyhood's long-forgotten companions in the old schoolyard, of which he had not thought for years. So, going to pause for a second there. So, basically, they're claiming, this is the Theosophical Society. Now, this is C.W. Leadbeater. They claim that they were able to perform these experiments, that they have people within their organization who are able to clairvoyantly see and see what people are dreaming, uh, you know, apparently, according to this, because if they knew he was dreaming of some of his boyhood memories of this, uh, apparently this clairvoyant or whoever the experimenter was could see his dreams while he's dreaming them and possibly influence them from outside, according to what they're saying here. If there's any kernel of truth to this, then this could be a hugely important piece of information, right? If there are people out there who can see the dreams of others and know what's in their head while they're sleeping, is that not a concern for, uh, say, you know, security and, uh, uh, you know, intelligence things like that, national security, uh, these kind of things, aren't there implications for that, if that's the case? So, like I said, whether you believe this stuff or not, there are people that very much do, and the things they do with this information or to act upon this information will affect all of us. So, if there's any kernel of truth to this, and I, I do see some compelling reasons to think that there may be some kernel uh, within some of these teachings or ideas, because because this spreads across all different secret society groups, all the different occult fraternities and teachings, they're all very similar ideas. They may have different names for them, but essentially it's the same framework, right? So if there's any kernel of truth to this, this could be a hugely important thing. And we're not taught about it, right? 
And that's the important thing. So there's this, this disparity, this power disparity between those people who know, uh, you know, at the topmost levels of these different occult groups and those of, who, of us who are the rest of society who have been indoctrinated in ways through modern thought and science to think differently than what's laid down here. But anyway, let's go ahead. We might as well finish this up because this is the last chapter of the book. And it says conclusion. So let's see what conclusions C.W. Leadbeater came to about this and what the Theosophical Society uh, has to say about the importance of dreams and uh, many of these ideas, the mechanism of dreaming, as we described in the earlier episodes talking about this uh, in this book and what's all involved here. So, conclusion. Surely these experiments show very clearly how the remembrance of our dreams becomes so chaotic and inconsequent as it frequently is. Incidentally, they also explain why some people in whom the ego is undeveloped and earthly desires of various kinds are strong never dream at all, and why many others are only now and then under a, co a collocation of favorable circumstances able to bring back a confused memory of nocturnal adventure. And we see further from them, if a man wishes to reap in his waking consciousness the benefit of what his ego may learn during sleep, it is absolutely necessary for him to acquire control over his thoughts, to subdue all lower passions, and to attune his mind to higher things. If he will take the trouble to form during waking life the habit of sustained and concentrated thought, he will soon find that the advantage he gains thereby is not limited to day the daytime in its action. Let him learn to hold his mind in check, to show that he is master of that also, as well as as of his lower passions. Let him patiently labor to acquire absolute control of his thoughts, so that he will always know exactly what he is thinking about and why, and he will find that his brain, thus trained to listen only to the promptings of the ego, will remain quiescent, quiescent, sorry, I had to pronounce that wrong, quiescent, when not in use, and will decline to receive and respond to casual currents from the surrounding ocean of thought, so that he will no longer be impervious to influences from the less material planes, where insight is keener and judgment truer than they can ever be down here. The performance of a very elementary act of magic may be of assistance to some people in this training of the etheric part of the brain. The pictures which it evolves for itself when the thought stream from outside is shut off are certainly less likely altogether to prevent the recollection of the ego's experiences than is the tumultuous rush of that thought stream itself. So the exclusion of this turbid current which contains so much more evil than good, is of itself no inconsiderable step towards the desired end, and that much may be accomplished without serious difficulty. Let a man, when he lies down to sleep, think of the aura which surrounds him. Let him will strongly that the outer surface of that aura shall become a shell to protect him from the impingement of influences from without, and the auric matter will obey his thought. A shell will really be formed around him, and the thought stream will be excluded. So I'm going to pause there, folks. So I think this gives an answer as to what they were talking about when they said the magnetic shell in the experiments he was referring to here. Uh, so this is something that uh, allegedly you can turn on and off yourself just by being aware of it and being cognizant of it and uh, intending for it to be there. Uh, and this will 
leave outside influencing thought forms out of your mind while you sleep. That's what he's claiming here. Now remember, like I said, a lot of this stuff you have to take with a grain of salt. Maybe there's some truth there, maybe not, right? But uh, what do we know about magnetic influence? And perhaps they're talking about uh, this magnetic uh, shell in a different uh, type of a way than what we're accustomed to in our modern scientific parlance. Uh, so this is something that uh, could be equated back to um, maybe the idea of animal magnetism as uh, put forth by Mesmer. And I, I do think, uh, you know, in hindsight now, thinking back on that, that's what he's talking about here, right? Mesmer talked about this, about magnet, the animal magnetism and the influence of magnetism. Uh, and all these things, I think, are part and parcel of the same thing, like the magnetic force itself, I think has a very uh, type of misunderstood uh, precept to it. Uh, that uh, many of the, the occult philosophies acknowledge. And perhaps the whole thing's misdescribed to us, but this, this is all about uh, uh, manifestation, right? Uh, it's the dielectric and the magnetic working together in this, uh, this combined uh, electrical current uh, that really manifests and drives manifestation here in the physical world. And it's the connecting influence uh, between these various layers here uh, you know, things like from the uh, the physical plane here, the material world, to the etheric, to the astral, etc., etc. Uh, there's one force that really runs this whole show, and that would be this, uh, you know, electric or electromagnetic force, as we, we often refer to it, uh, but it's, it's actually a manifestation of dielectric force. Uh, mag you know, magnetism and electricity are just two manifestations of the same thing. Uh, so... This is something that uh, I think the old occultists had a better understanding of than what we do now. So, you know, is this the force they're talking about within many of these secret society groups? Most likely, right? And and it's, you know, our, our modern scientific way of thinking about it is different than how it was viewed back in occult philosophy. Uh, but I think it's part and parcel of the same thing. And it's all just a, a variation of degrees here with that kind of thing. But at any rate, uh, not to get too much on a side tangent there, but that is probably what uh, Mr. Leadbeater was referring to here when he was talking about these experiments the Theosophical Society did, wherein they were able to manifest this magnetic shell around this person to uh, keep out the uh, outside influences of outside thought forms uh, from manifesting in the dream state there. Uh, but let's continue on. Another point very strongly brought out in our further investigations is the immense importance of the last thought in a man's mind as he sinks to sleep. This is a consideration which never occurs to the vast majority of people at all, yet it affects them physically, mentally, and morally. We have seen how passive and how easily influenced man is during sleep. If he enters that state with his thought fixed upon high and holy things, he thereby draws round him the elementals created by like thought in others. His rest is peaceful, his mind open to impressions from above, and closed to those from below, for he has set it working in the right direction. 
If, on the contrary, he falls asleep with impure and earthly thoughts floating through his brain, he attracts to himself all the gross and evil creatures who come near him, while his sleep is troubled by the wild surgings of passion and desire, which render him blind to the sights, deaf to the sounds, that come from higher planes. All earnest theosophists should therefore make a special point of raising their thoughts to the loftiest level of which they are capable before allowing themselves to sink into slumber. For remember, through what seem at first but the portals of dream, entrance may perchance presently be gained into those grander realms where alone true vision is possible. If one guides his soul persistently upward, its inner senses will at last begin to unfold. The light within the shrine will burn brighter and brighter until at last the full continuous consciousness comes, and then he will dream no more. To lie down to sleep will no longer mean for him to sink into oblivion, but simply to step forth radiant, rejoicing, strong into that fuller, nobler life where fatigue can never come where the soul is always learning, even though all his time be spent in service. For the service is that of the great masters of wisdom and the glorious task. They set before him is to help ever to the fullest limit of his power in their never-ceasing work for the aiding and guidance of the evolution of humanity. And that's the end of the book there, folks. So you see... <coughs> They take the dream state very seriously. They uh, they seem to think that uh, it's a gateway of sorts to higher realms or other worlds. And perhaps it is. Maybe there's some core of truth uh, to some of these ideas. And like I said, uh, this, is, this is a book from the Theosophical Society, okay? Um, many of the ideas that are inherent in this crossover in many ways to some of the other occult teachings as well from these other occult organizations. They're all very similar. They, they, they describe many of the same things. They might use different words or different kind of, uh, you know, phrases to describe certain aspects of it, but it's all the same basic framework that they're describing here. So perhaps there's a core of truth to some of this, and maybe, just maybe, this dream state is truly important. So, uh, once again, it comes back to the idea of uh, what do we think about? And what do we think about right before we go to sleep at night? And, you know, what are, what are these things that we meditate on? And the Bible tells us to think on all those things that are good, all those things that are noble, right? We're supposed to be doing this, like according to even, uh, you know, uh, mainstream religious scriptures and stuff like that. Even according to the Bible, we're told to think on those things which are good, which are of good report. Uh, all these different ideas, those, those things that are holy, those things that are righteous, those things that are, are goodly, think upon those. Uh, so um, I think we need to do that. We need to uh, keep a positive uh, frame of mind in this, uh, this world that we're in right now. And it's hard to do. We're inundated day and night, 24-7, uh, with bad news everywhere we're, we're influenced out from the outside we're, we're inundated with all these negative thought forms that come at us from everywhere uh from you know all sorts of places from the tv from uh you know the community at large all these different things the, the news the entertainment all of it has kind of negative connotation to it 
And we're exposed to this. So we need to be careful the things we think upon. And especially here, as we're talking about, before we go to sleep, because it, it's claimed by these people that the mind is more heavily influenced in that dream state than it is during our waking conscious hours here. Uh, so if we can be influenced in this dream state, and if there's truly something to that idea... This is hugely important, especially when you think about uh, how many people sleep with their cell phones close to their head. What kind of influence does that have? What kind of frequencies is that giving off? Uh, just in and of itself, that thing sitting there. That could potentially, if uh, any of this stuff's true, uh, affect your brain patterns or your, your brain waves or even you know your mindset or even affect you on, say, an ethereal level, as they claim here, or in the etheric, uh, you know, or if you leave your TV on all night just to have that ambient background noise, what kinds of thought forms are spewing out of that TV set and influencing your brain while you sleep, right? Influencing your mind. I need to step away from saying brain because that's something that's kind of happened in modern society here. We equate brain and mind as being the same, and they're not. They're clearly not. Mind is something completely different from brain. Brain is nothing but the... Uh, the physical mechanism through which mind operates. There's a distinction there, and it's something we need to uh, really be careful when we speak. And it's sometimes it's hard when we've been programmed with this language, indoctrinated with it from the time we were very young. So, you know, when we talk about the brain and the mind, usually here in the Western world we perceive those as being one and the same thing. Well, it's really not. The mind supersedes the brain. The brain is just the physical mechanism through which the mind operates. And we, we need to understand that. And that's a lot of what's taught uh, within some of this old occult philosophy and stuff like that. It's this distinction. These are different things, right? Uh, same thing with, uh, you know, these different uh, types of concepts here. The ego, like they claim the ego or what they would call the higher self and some of these different uh, uh, you know, organizations and stuff like that. That's separate from the mind, right? Uh, it's it's a step above the mind. It's it's the influence of the mind, the soul, the spirit. There's distinctions there. The soul, the spirit, the body, and the mind. Uh, these are the four different manifestations, the four different realms through which uh, we exist, and you know, through which consciousness exists, according to many of these occult teachings. Uh, so we have our foot in all of these different worlds. And, and this is, you know, a, a huge idea. It's a highly philosophical idea. And we're taught to reject that stuff in, you know, the modern era here. But uh, there's probably more to it than, you know, what our modern science would lead on. And that's part and parcel of part of the control mechanism here in this world. They want us bought into this whole materialist paradigm where everything is ob objectively measurable and quantifiable uh, and and you know through their their science their their scientific method and that's not how things work all the time is it a, a lot of what we experience is subjective it's experiential and, and it doesn't have a concrete type of uh, quantifiable measurement to it but what they seek to do is quantify everything to make it more easy to control and that's why 
you know, obviously the Theosophical Society, and I'm sure many of these other occult organizations, have done these experiments on these different sleep studies, on these dream uh, studies, right? Uh, the dream state, it's an important thing. Uh, I think it's it could be hugely influential here. People's minds, they claim, are more easily influenced in the dream state, especially people that they call, quote-unquote, undeveloped, with the, quote-unquote, undeveloped ego. The ones that they, they claim that, you know, they, they claim they're more easily influenced in this dream state then. So this could be problematic if there's any truth to it. And I think there may be some kernel of truth to it. Uh, because we've all seen where uh, people in a hypnotic state are, are more subject to suggestion. And this is the same kind of thing. It's an altered state of consciousness that's comparable to uh, like a dream state, right? So all of these things are hugely important, and they've been uh, somewhat studied in mainstream psychology and mainstream science, but not touched upon in the same way as they are here. Now, the way the Theosophical Society approached it here, it's a different kind of, uh, uh, of an approach than what we would consider to be valid in the modern era. But does it make it any less valid? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I think maybe they have some methodologies of looking at these things. And even if they don't, uh, just the idea itself uh, could be hugely influential. And like I've cautioned everybody before, even if you think it's all nonsense, there's people in positions of power that very much believe this stuff. And the things they do to act upon those beliefs will affect all of us. So we need to understand their point of view, where they're coming from. And if this is what they think, if they think that, uh, you know, the dream state is an important doorway or gateway between these different worlds, uh, between these different realms, the astral, the etheric, uh, these various places, if they think that and they think that people are uh, more easily influenced when they're in the dream state and they, they do stuff to act upon these ideas, well, <laughs> this could be, uh, you know, a game changer if there's any core of truth to them at all. And even if there's not, it still could be a concerning thing because the things they do might be, you know, uh, very weird to those of us that have been indoctrinated in Western culture. We might not understand exactly what it is they're trying to achieve or what's going on exactly. Uh, but even to take this on a more mainstream scientific point of view towards this, Think about this, like I had alluded to earlier. What if you're one of those people that, that falls asleep with the TV on, leaves the TV on all night? Well, what kind of suggestions is that television giving you all night long? Uh, what kinds of, uh, you know, things are, are being uh, fed into your into your mind all night long while that's playing? And you're, you're asleep. You're influenced by it, but on an unconscious level. And then you, you don't realize uh, what's going on there. And perhaps it could affect your mood the next day, or perhaps it could affect, uh, you know, uh, some course of action you take and some kind of inexplicable thing. You, you don't know why. Uh, maybe you wake up super tired or irritated or something the next day. You don't know why, but uh, maybe this has something to do with it. And as I've alluded to earlier as well, what about all these uh, frequencies we're constantly inundated with day and night with the, the uh, 
electronic devices and the, the Wi-Fi networks and all the, the cell phone networks and stuff like that, what kind of an effect does that have on our minds? And we know it affects us on a conscious waking level. Now, what does it do in that dream state level? The, the, see, these are more, more types of things that need to be considered. And enough people don't think about this stuff. But uh, I, I tend to uh, be fascinated by these types of topics because the, the idea of dreams and the dream state is always something that's fascinated me. So, you know, is this really touching upon different worlds? Or is it just a complete fabrication of your mind or your brain? Uh, what is it? And, and this is all part of the mystery, right? We don't really know. We can't say for sure. We can't definitively prove anything. We can't prove this one way or another, uh, any of these types of ideas. But it's fascinating, and there is a huge body of literature about this coming from these occult organizations and these secret society groups. Uh, so I think it's important to look at and to consider perhaps what they're telling us. Perhaps there's a kernel of truth to it. And like I, I tell people all the time, it's information, right? Put it in your back pocket. If you don't have any use for it, just keep it in the back of your mind. Know that it's there. And perhaps one day you'll encounter something in your waking life or, you know, in, in your course of study or whatever that, that resonates with you and uh, really brings more uh, depth to this information that's been presented. Or this information brings more depth to the, the new thing you learned, whatever the case may be. And, you know, perhaps... There's some value to be garnered there. And I think looking at all of these older books and things like this is an important step to take because it gives us an idea as to uh, what people were thinking, right? Uh, in these different groups, the, the way that they, they think the world operates. And it's much different than what we're fed in the modern era, in the modern age. So... It, it's, it really makes you think outside the box. You have to step outside what the accepted norms are and look at the world in a different type of way. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's, it's kind of empowering when you begin to understand, um, you know, perhaps there's uh, some kernel of truth to a lot of this stuff, and it's all about your perspective. And when you see things from this different perspective, sometimes the chaos that happens in the world around us seems to take on more meaning when you could take a step back and understand, okay, now I understand what the why is behind what's going on here. See, when, when you understand the point of view of these uh, various groups that uh, have some form of power or control in this world or the ones that push some of the agendas, you understand why they're doing this. And you may also understand how to counter some of that. And a lot of that stems back to awareness and perception. And that's what we're talking about here. It's all about the doors of perception, right? It's about how we perceive the world around us. Now, if we're rigid in our thinking and we're just kind of molded and indoctrinated into this scientific viewpoint that we've been handed in the modern era, and everything has to be objective and measurable and quantifiable, uh, in this scientific method, and this is the only way we think, well, that limits us in our understanding, doesn't it? Uh, so I don't see that being the way forward. We have to be able to uh, use different types of tools other than scientific method to maybe understand the world around us. 
more subjective ways of thinking, more philosophical ways of thinking, going back to the older natural sciences, the older alchemical ways, in order to have a better view of what's truly going on. But, uh, you know, anyway, I think the dream state is an important part of this. And that was, you know, an interesting book. Uh, the whole book, you know, from, from front to back, uh, it was a fascinating read. And I, I think uh, we explored a lot of good ideas through it here. Uh, so it was important to do so. And I think, uh, you know, putting that kind of material out uh, is an important thing to do. We need to discuss these topics. We need to actually consider some of this information, right? That's that's what it's all about. This information that's kind of been lost to time, uh, bound up in within secret society groups for, you know, centuries now. And it's only through the advent of the internet that uh, many of these things have actually been able to come out into the public. Uh, there was a time when you wouldn't be able to get a hold of that book unless you were a member of one of these secret fraternities and, you know, were specifically looking for that. <clears throat> but now, in the information age here, with the uh, advent of the internet, now this stuff, we could find it readily. It's out there in the public domain, and a lot of it's easy to find. So this has been a hugely important thing, being able to come across some of this information and be able to share it. So, you know, we could have a better understanding of how these things operate. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to... Uh, highlight the importance of the dream state and the mechanisms of dreaming here as put forward by the Theosophical Society. And maybe we'll do a comparative study uh, with some other works that I find from other groups and see, you know, what kind of similarities are there. And maybe we could parse out, uh, you know, which kernels of truth there might be and, you know, what's, what's obfuscation. Because I'm sure a lot that's in some of these works is obfuscation, uh, they've been known to do this, and this is, you know, readily acknowledged by them that they obfuscate things, or they make claims that they can't really validate. And there's a lot of claims that were made here that can't really be validated per se, right? There's no way to prove or disprove what's being said, unless you, of course, yourself are a clairvoyant, <laughs> like they claim, right? Uh, but, you know, how many people do you know that would claim to be a clairvoyant or to be able to see uh, the manifestations of things like these people have claimed in their experiment that they give there at the end in their different experiments. Um, so, you know, and, and even if there are those that are sensitive or psychic in some way or, you know, make those types of claims, do they even understand what they're looking at at that level? Right? So they've come up with these various frameworks, and there's some interesting books out there about these different frameworks uh, that we may explore uh, on future episodes here as well, just to kind of flesh out the whole ideology behind some of these groups as to what it is that they, they claim they're able to to, uh, uh, to see what kind of information they claim they're privy to that the rest of us aren't. And, you know, we need to have concern about that because is there truth to it? Well, if there is, that's hugely concerning because they know something we don't and they could use that as power over us. And the other side of the coin with that is, well, if they're lying, then they've uh, they've been able to convince an awful lot of people within their own groups and stuff that something like this is true and mislead them and lead them down in a direction that uh, has largely become harmful to the rest of us because they think that they have this type of power over us or they, they have uh, something to hold over us. 
and they've they've come into terms of you know positions of power uh, because of this and you know they they think that they could utilize uh, different means of controlling us that way and it creates this power disparity either way and that's what's largely been done here so at any rate uh, I always caution people do your own research into things read these things uh, for yourself uh, draw your own conclusions on them and you know just understand it there's nothing wrong with absorbing information take in as much information as you can read everything right don't necessarily believe it unless you could you know prove it out for yourself in some way shape or form but keep it in your back pocket and you will be surprised at just how this uh you know th this type of base knowledge of, of sorts uh can help you it helps you to see the world around you differently than what we've been indoctrinated to do and it gives you a better perspective on things in my view it gives you a broader view and a better understanding as to the why in this world why does this happen well here's why because it's you know uh, it's information at a different level right so at any rate it's all about the doors of perception as i said uh so that being the case we need to take a step back from the modern scientific viewpoint and look at things in these more philosophical broader terms and i think uh, a lot of times it makes more sense for us when we take a step back and are able to view it from that lens so it, it's it's helpful it's helpful to be able to see things both ways uh, so that's why i like to explore these topics and uh, i think the uh, idea of the dream state here has been a fascinating topic and like i said we'll we'll probably look at some of these other books that relate in some way to this to the ideas of consciousness and uh, the dream state and the waking state and all of these different things thought forms all of these different ideas uh, that are explored through some of these writings but uh, anyway that's about it for tonight so uh, i'm gonna go ahead and sign off now and uh, i will post the replay of this at a later time so uh, thank you everyone for tuning in and everybody have a good night now
Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm. Coming soon.